This podcast series has been made possible through an exclusive sponsorship from SA's number one nano-influencer platform, The Salt. Most brands have a communication line to their existing customers, but not a way to get them to have additional positive brand conversations. The Salt solves the problem by identifying brand fans and getting them to talk more about their positive brand experiences. The Salt have a database of over 140,000 registered brand fans and in-depth information on each to perfectly match your brand to the right influencers. Reach out to them now and see what they can do for you. I'm Anne Dolinchek and this is Coffee Conversations about Influencer Marketing. In this episode, we're in conversation with Pelokazi Mbudi, who's a multimedia journalist. Grab a coffee and listen as we discuss the shift in media consumption by the public during the pandemic and why brands should care, the rise of the relatable micro-influencer, and why short-form video is so popular right now. If you enjoy this podcast, you will also enjoy our fortnightly newsletter that keeps you up to date with influencer news from around the world. Subscribe at the link in the show notes. Good morning, Pelakazi. Thank you so much for making time to be with us today. Really appreciate it. I think before we delve into our wonderful conversation, can you please tell our listeners more a bit about who you are and what it means to be a multimedia content producer? Good morning, and thank you so much for having me on. So I am a multimedia content producer. I trained as a journalist and a multimedia content producer basically means I produce content across all medias. So this includes video, audio, graphics, and anything in between. I research and write about digital media trends. And I also write about women interest stories for W24. Amazing. So you are the perfect person for us to talk about influencer marketing and influencers during the pandemic. And we're very much looking forward to it. So let's go back to the start of the pandemic. All of a sudden, people were confined to their homes, they weren't allowed any visitors, and they didn't even have the option to go out and find entertainment elsewhere like we would usually do. So now we're stuck. And I'm sure we saw a lot of shifts in people's behavior when it came to consuming media. Can you maybe tell us more about that? There was an increase in traffic on social media, and that was highly noticeable as the pandemic hit. Not only were celebrities like hyper visible on social media, but just general users seemed more active online. In addition to this, other public figures and content creators were more active using real-time features like Instagram Live. I don't know if you did notice, but there was a period during early in the pandemic where everybody was doing Instagram Lives around six o'clock every day. And it was very interesting to watch. So I think there was just increased activity in that sense. When it came to a surge in use on social media, I did notice an article on the conversation about how there was an increase in television watching in the UK. And I suspected this might have been the case for social media as well, because people needed to just reuse the time that they had available to them. No, absolutely. And it makes completely sense to me that people watch a lot more TV, right? And also subscribe to places like Netflix and Showmax. Because we're at home, that's kind of what we do. We want news, we want entertainment. And it also kind of just took our mind off everything that was going on. But why social media? I don't understand if I'm at home and I'm already watching TV and I'm getting all my information and entertainment. Why would people then go to social media? 
I think people, because they needed to repurpose their time that they usually maybe dedicated to commuting or traveling or going out to parties, they needed to fill that social gap. And as much as you're watching TV or participating in gaming, there isn't that same level of social connection that social media would provide. I think that's one of the reasons that people did gravitate a lot more to social media in addition to TV and other activities. Also, everyone was basically overnight forced to just forgo all their physical social engagements. And I mean, what better substitute to socially engage than on social media when you can't do it physically? I suppose the, the act there is social media. We wanted to be social, but we couldn't do it physically. So that was actually perfect to connect to people. Yes, I think people did really want that person-to-person connection that they couldn't get from pre-recorded entertainment photos. No, absolutely. So also at that point where everyone's turning to social media for connection and to socialize, was there also a shift in the types of content that people started preferring on social media? For a long time, there's been an increasing appetite for like more real content, less curated, more candid. That desire may have deepened during the lockdown as people just craved the strong uh, social connection while they isolated in their homes. A looming trend among other creators right now is no longer using filters, face filters and efforts to just be the more uh, quote unquote real and create a more uh, and not create unattainable beauty standards. So I think those kinds of efforts to just build connection is what increased during the pandemic. It is also interesting, though, that there's still a lot of room for the highly aesthetic-driven content because a lot of people still do need escapism. A lot of us struggle mm-hmm. in the pandemic, so we just needed something to distract ourselves. And I think that's where the curator content does come in. People wanting you know, to dream, to just lift the imagination, to be hopeful, to get a glimpse of what could be possible after the pandemic. There's still an audience for that luxurious content and luxurious content creators and the stylistic and curated feeds, I think. So I think those two live together. But I think there was a specific thing about the pandemic that encouraged specific activity in those two areas. No, absolutely. And I agree with you. And I think for so long, it was completely unbalanced where this heavily curated, very beautiful aesthetic was all we saw. And it was a little bit unrealistic and people were feeling bad about their lives because apparently everyone has perfect lives if you look on Instagram. But um, now that balance has kind of been restored. You've got a nice balance of real people that you see. Yeah, I can completely get where you're coming from, going through the same thing. This is great. And also that aspirational content where you're like, you know what, when I grow up, that's what I want to do, which is great. And I think now there's also a deliberate effort to just make that balance and just bring down the veil and portray reality and also explain that some things are not real on Instagram. No, absolutely. And we have seen that trend where people are literally saying like, this is in real life. And they kind of do this like Instagram, this is real life. And I'm absolutely loving that. But do you think, Pelokazi, that this will stay the case? Or do you think that a novel to beware of and we'll just kind of go back to just heavily curated feeds? 
Oh, no, definitely. I think it will stay for quite a long time. People will continue to crave what's real. But also in terms of just social movements, I think people find it important Mm. to make that distinction, to say we're not perfect. This is not perfect. There's a diverse set of beauty ideals that should be looked at, you know, in terms of Instagram. People don't want to portray an image that is not real and pretend that it is real, you know. People will continue, like I mentioned, this whole people making an effort not to use filters all the time. I think that might grow. And I think also people might build more on their relatable content, focus a lot on stories, just to engage directly with people, do live videos. I think that will stick around for quite a while. Yeah, and the transparency will grow. I think even two years ago, when we would look at influencer content, it wasn't transparent at all. It would just be like, this is their life, and this is the stuff they buy, and this is just what they have. And now it is so important for them to be transparent to say, this is a sponsored post, I got this as a gift. And it just kind of makes that so much easier to navigate as a user to go, you know what, she's an influencer. She's working for these things. It's not just falling into her lap, which is so very important. Yeah, if I can just add to that as well, in terms of like specifically fashion and beauty creators, they also do now make it a point to say, I don't own all of these luxury clothes, they get gifted to me, or I borrow them and send them back. And just talking about sustainability, creators are also making a point to just communicate with brands and say, I can only accept so many gifts because I'm one person. And the the gifts often clutter in their houses, in their homes. They just negotiate a better way of limiting the access that they give and the access that they portray on social media. Which is very, very important, especially when it comes to reputation and credibility. So I'm really loving this whole movement where followers and users and audiences are also holding people accountable who doesn't do that because we want that transparency. We want our influencers to do really well. But we also need them to be picky. Otherwise, it's a bit dodge. Yes, definitely. So during the pandemic, we saw a lot of micro-influencers kind of shoot to fame all of a sudden. And now they're like these big macro guys, but they kind of retained that micro feel where they're really accessible and really relatable, which we didn't previously see with macro-influencers. We're so used to them being big celebrities and those aspirational people we spoke about just now. But they're still kind of these people that we got to know as micros and we kind of see them as friends. We have a connection with them. And we saw that particularly happening on Instagram and TikTok over the last year. So why do you think micro-influencers are such big deals at the moment? I mean, everyone's talking about them. There has been for for quite some time now the whole assumption that micro-influencers are the future and micro-influencers are gold in terms of partnering with in terms of brands because they offer they have the level of engagement that's desired to engage with the product as opposed to macro influencers who might not be as connected to their audiences because obviously they have millions and millions of followers micro influencers have been portrayed as the more attractive group of influencers and also they prove that to be true because they do have that relate relatable aspect they do often engage closely with their followers and i think that has a lot of value and with ma- macro influencers they do model the micro influencer influencer position and do make an effort to engage more to reach to their followers more 
to make call-outs for engagement. And I think that's the way influencers will continue to move forward, to keep a close a close connection with their followers and just focus on the community build, building and just engaging more with people instead of just putting out content into the universe and just leave, leaving it there. I agree with you. I think micro-influencers is becoming macros now. I've completely changed the face of it. It's not only going to be those big celebs that we are aspiring to their lifestyles. It's actually keeping that community quite close-knit. And I honestly think that is how uh, macro-influencers will be in the future. Yeah, I think so too. So when we look at uh, Elsa Majimbo and Tabitha Brown, they're only two of the microstars who's now found international fame over the pandemic period. Locally, we have the likes of Aleta Francina de Kock, who is like massive right now. And she's still going from strength to strength. And so is Elsa and Tabitha. Why did these influences capture the attention of so many? What did they do right? So with Elsa... The main thing for her that just captured so many people is, of course, her humor and how she delivers her humor and how relatable it is. And the fact that she did it so strongly during the pandemic, it's basically what everybody needed at that moment. A pure sense of comic relief. And it wasn't anything we've seen before. And I think also that it was so true to her and her personality. I think that captured people a lot. Uh, with Tabitha, she, she's been growing for quite some time now, but there was an accelerated growth during the pandemic. And with her, I think it's the same in the sense that she's so authentic, so real. She puts her authentic self out there and engages with people in that way. But also people just love her as a person. People have said that she probably gives the best hugs and um, she's gotten the title of world's best mom. And I think in terms of the niche that she's in, in vegan food and her whole motivational speak aspect of her brand, people love that. And I think they needed that a lot during the pandemic. Of course, I mean, it was a stressful time for everybody and who didn't need a laugh or didn't need a virtual hug, you know, to get them through. In terms of Aleta, I did some of her work as well and I think what's interesting with her is that she she assumed this funny online persona and she also had that comedic aspect to it but also when you look at her work she has incredible skill and she has a lot to offer in terms of talent in terms of content itself so I think it's interesting because some people do go on social media and people sometimes wrongfully accuse them of not being talented so they just be social media influencers. But talent is a huge part of being an influencer. And I think Aleta proves that with her personality, but also backs it up strongly with such great photographic skills and great sense of content that she has. You just said so many amazing things. And it is all about that authenticity that just became more and more important. I mean, that virtual hug, that relatable content where we all laughed at. And you're right. We needed that comic relief. We needed that hug. And talent is a huge part of it. And I do think that sometimes creators uh, don't get enough credit for that. Being fantastic videographers, being fantastic orators, being fantastic storytellers, being fantastic photographers, that is all skills and that's all talent. Yes, definitely. And I think people, if they would ever try to do just 
a small portion of what influencers do. They would really understand how much work goes into it. And it's very easy to see subpar content from really good content online. It takes incredible hard work and take credible focus and definitely talent as well. No, absolutely. So when we look at these micro-influencers that made it quite big, and I'm, I'm sure there's so many more, these are just the three that kind of caught my eye during the pandemic. We mostly saw these guys create content or video content on Instagram and TikTok. Was this the secret? Is this the new popular platforms? Is video the big thing? What is it? Definitely. I think short form video has been rising in popularity even before the pandemic. And many of us mm. know, remember Vine, you know, RIP to Vine. It pre- oh, I loved Vine. Yes. It preceded TikTok and Instagram Reels. So this kind of short form punchy content has been on the rise for a while now. Often the rationale for the popularity of short form video has been that people's attention span is much shorter, so they need those sort of short videos. I'm not completely sure I agree with that. It's not much to do with the attention span, but I think people are consuming huge amounts of content online and a, a short video that is packed with information tends to be much more effective in terms of grabbing their focus amid all the other content that's happening there. And it highly activates the senses. As a result, it also stimulates the brain to such a great degree. I mean, if you think of TikTok, there's so much sound, so much transition, so much graphics and text on screen that it just captivates the the user, the audience. It's a good way to communicate information and just to get in touch with with people. And like a good video has a lot of information in it, but doesn't require a lot of effort from the person watching it and leaves them wanting more. That's what's embodied in these short form videos. Hashtag no filter. That's how this podcast is delivering real down to earth stories told by real people. For an influencer campaign that takes brand conversation to everyday real life situations, go check out thesalt.co.za. They are the undisputed experts in real influencer marketing. Yeah, and I think you also use so many more senses than just reading to consume content, right? And I think it was Mark Zuckerberg who said, I think, two years ago that by the end of 2021, he kind of wants Facebook to be almost all video because that's where people live. They want to watch something. They want to consume it. Like you say, it's less effort. It grabs you. You can use all your senses to absorb it. It kind of stimulates everything. And you remember it a lot better. Yes. Yes, definitely. And I think it's a very effective way to just engage. And the fact that there's more and more of this kind of content out there and that people gravitate towards it, it's a valuable way to use it. Absolutely. So do you think that brands have been paying attention and adopting fast enough to this change in content for their consumers? Because obviously, if most people are consuming this kind of content, you think that brands will play in the space a bit more, especially when they use their influencers. Brands should make it a point to be more abreast with social media trends and the tools that uh, social media provides. And just remember you know, they don't have to use every single tool, but it's it, it could be good for them to just handpick those that align with their brands and goals. And I think that would be very effective for their communication. It's also important to know 
what tools are used for which purpose. I know everybody loves TikTok, everybody loves Twitter, but it's important to also think what's best for what you're communicating. I think also brands should just consider longevity of their products and use the trends to amplify an existing message or use trends to serve a purpose and not just have the trends be the purpose. I think that's also important to note. Oh, that is the most important thing. I love that you said that because so often brands just want to keep up with the times and keep up with their competitors. And you sit and think and go like, but you don't need to be everywhere. You need to be very strategic on which platforms you play. Where does your audience sit? What kind of content do they enjoy? If you are selling to 70 year plus women, you're not going to be on TikTok. I'm sorry. You're probably more going to be on Facebook. And it's something that they really need to think of. And I love that phrase. The trends shouldn't be the strategy. It needs to be the other way around. Definitely. Definitely. So when you look specifically at influencer marketing now, are you seeing brands moving away from vanity metrics? I mean, it's not that long ago whenever we spoke to clients and we were talking about influencers, first thing they do is they go to like, I want macro influence. I want someone who's a bonang. I want millions and millions of followers because they kind of equate that with influence. And I think over the years, we've proved that follow accounts does not always equate to influence. So do you think they are moving away from that? And what should they be looking for instead when they're looking at influencers? I think uh, brands, for the most part, have graduated from just prioritizing high followership. And I think they are paying more attention to the different factors that reflect true influence. Overall, I think everybody has been more educated in terms of what it means to influence and what it means to be popular, like you said. I think another lesson brands could benefit from is that not all brands need to develop, you know, that savage online persona for their brand. There are other ways to keep people coming back and keep people engaged. Absolutely. And I completely agree with that. I think follower accounts is something of the past. We need to start looking at that engagement, the sentiment, are they good fits for your brand? All those amazing things instead. Yeah. In terms of how brands could just take this up and take this forward, there's an increasing phenomenon that I've been appreciating about effective ways of brand building and connecting with an audience. And that's around building online communities. A lot of content creators are already doing this with their own brands. Other brands also can benefit from this. Absolutely. And we've seen a huge shift in the last couple of years where we found out more about, you know, how influence marketing is more effective. And I mean, remember, influence marketing is still so young in this country that we we try things and we fail and we try more things. So at this point, we know exactly kind of what works, what doesn't work. We try the millions of followers that doesn't really work, depending obviously on what you want. If you want big reach, then absolutely. If you want engagement, if you want people to take a call to action, we look at other factors. So we just kind of learn by trial and error. And that's just how it's going to go. Yes, definitely. Are there any campaigns, especially influencer marketing campaigns that stands out for you over the last couple of months or over the pandemic that you thought really got it right? Over the pandemic, uh, since we were speaking about Elsa earlier, I really did love her campaign with Fenty for their sunglasses range. 
I loved that. That was such a good fit. They really thought that campaign through. It was amazing. Definitely. I think that was brilliant. And I love that they didn't just partner with her because she was the basically the most popular persona at the moment. But they really made an effort to look what makes sense instead of just being visible for the face, for the sake of being visible. And anyone who watches Elsa knows that sunglasses are a key part of her comedy, uh, which made yep. a great well a great way to to partner with and sell sunglasses. The way that they were able to identify such a strong link between the two brands, I think that was brilliant. And I'm sure like everybody else, I'm still waiting for Elsa to get a potato chips sponsorship, you know? I was just going to say that. I'm like, why are people sleeping on this? Give her a potato chips sponsorship. She needs it. Yeah, it's definitely long overdue. And she's been having a lot of other partnerships in between. But, you know, these two factors that are just so innate to her brand is a great opportunity to for other brands to just partner and, and just work together. In terms of that, I think I loved that campaign. I think it was great. 100%. And I think there was so much thought and strategy that went behind that. And I wish we could see it in so many more brands. That's all I want for marketing and brand people at this point. Just take time to just think about the campaign and not just put something out there for the sake of it. A lot of people do prioritize visibility, but I think there needs to be something that backs up that visibility, something meaningful. So Pelokazi, what industry trends do you think is yet to stay and will just become kind of bigger and bigger and bigger? Brands that stand for something is a trend that's going to be bigger. I think this is something yeah. we'll just continue to see more of. And just brands that have they, that make their brand values known and think deeply about the image they want to project and have that reflect in the kinds of partnerships they have. Secondly, I think there, there might be a more uptake in content that humanizes brands. Like, you know, the BTS content is something that's already out there and the meet the team, meet the founders kind of content is already being out there. But also in terms of Instagram lives, brand brands hosting Instagram lives to have a direct connection to the audience, to their consumer, employing tools that humanizes the brand more. I think we will see more of that as well. Maybe also brands will also have more have a more of an interactive approach when communicating with consumers. You know, less of that top-down communication and more of like a multi-directional or even sometimes bottom-up driven communication. There are brands who are doing this as well, and they're sort of a novelty. I think there might be more of an uptake in that as well. The last bit, time is up for brands stealing content from content creators. It's been a huge Mm -hmm. controversy as of late. This will start dissipating more. There has been um, a strong group of um, big influencers who are calling out brands for taking their work either without credit or without paying them there will be more uptake in this as well I mean we have I can make reference to one high profile case with pop sugar and a major influence Anita Patra I think that was one of the more groundbreaking lawsuits in terms of this kind of issue and I think it's only going to get stronger and more widespread 
No, that's absolutely amazing trends. And I 100% agree with you. All of those will become stronger. And just interesting to note that you were saying that brands who are becoming more human, they are humanizing them. They want people to get to know the people behind the scenes and who's doing the work. And there's a real story behind the brand instead of just, this is a good product. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. There's a, a key component in terms of storytelling and the brand yeah. identity. And I think also just the transparency in terms of who's the brand, who owns the brand, who are the founders. There's an increase in communication in terms of how when you think about supporting brands, you also look up their founders and what they do. I, I do know sometimes entrepreneurs don't want to be synonymous with their brand, but there is always a link with the founder and the business itself. So I think, yeah, that's definitely important. No, absolutely. And transparency is a huge thing. And I think also with the storytelling and humanizing brands and having that story, it all comes so beautifully together with influencers as well for your brand. If you choose someone or a group of people that is so aligned with your values, and you also mentioned that people want to support brands with a cause, and we see that coming up more and more, especially in the millennial market, who's what, up to 40, 41 this year, who's got big buying power, they don't want to support brands that doesn't stand for something or something they believe in. So that's a huge part of it. And influencers are such a great way to actually show your um, consumers this, align with the right people. They've got the same values. And there's this influencer speaking on your behalf who's already got that connection with your customers how amazing is that there's also been increasing uptake in terms of influencers themselves having to stand for something being more open about their personal values and the kind of causes they support so of course if that kind of influencer partners with a brand that has similar values that immediately makes sense and immediately connects to people in that space as well so, Pilakoza, what are your top three tips for brands to keep in mind when they start thinking about doing influencer marketing? What are those things that should keep top of mind? Firstly, I would say that brands need to be more intentional and sincere about the diversity in the kinds of creators that they look to partner with. That can be from micro to macro influencers. It can be racial, age, and gender diversity etc. I think that's incredibly important to have that as in the forefront as opposed for sure. to being an afterthought. Um, particularly for campaigns, especially in South Africa, for campaigns outside of fashion and beauty. I think we have a, a, an amazing variety of food content creators and influencers, content creators in fitness and wellness and travel that are so diverse that not a lot of brands are tapping into that. We often see the same kind of creators in those certain types of content pillars. And I think it would be great to just have a diverse amount of creators being partnered with. And also on top of that, for them to be compensated fairly. And I think that's a, a big topic of the moment as well. Respect for content creators just goes a long way. And I think brands should just keep that in mind. I think brands should make more of an effort to just tailor ads a little bit or campaigns a little bit to each content creator and less of a copy-paste approach. 
I have seen when there's one brand who partners with multiple content creators that I follow and I see the same imagery over and over again, I think it would go further if brands just made more of an effort to just tailor the kind of content that they are partnering with to the creator and tailor it to their audience as well. I think that's a very important point. And we've spoken about it a lot before where I'm like, please give your content creators some kind of freedom to create the content that they know resonates well with their audiences and their tone and voice. There's a reason why you're partnering with them. Obviously, give them a frame of do's and don'ts that kind of um, you know stick to your brand. But within that, give them freedom. And I think when brands start doing that a lot more, you'll start seeing that diversity not only in content creators, but also in the content that you see, but still um, landing that message that you want to get out. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Lastly, in terms of communicating with consumers, brands should stick to remembering that consumers are smart, they are well-informed and very critical, and they're also becoming increasingly so. The communication to them should reflect this. Remembering that the kind of consumer today is not the kind of consumer 10 years ago or 20 years ago. There's a an elevated sense of understanding, an elevated sense of critical thinking. And also consumers today are extremely, extremely vocal. It would just do brands good to just remember that when they're designing communication towards them. I've been saying this for years. I'm like, consumers aren't dumb. We literally have access to all the information for the last, what, 10, 15 years. People research things. They read things. They have social media. They ask questions. And that's a completely valid point. Brands should keep that in mind because that's your consumers. And you can't dumb things down for them or lie to them about things. They will find out. And that your brand will be at so much risk. Rather get get back to that what we're saying, be transparent. Yeah. And in terms of whole the whole social media, yes, there's a lot of popularity and a lot of activity happening on social media. But the people who are on social media already know all of that. So Pelokazi, that brings us to the end of our conversation and I really enjoyed it. I've learned so much. Thank you. Lastly, can you maybe tell our audience or our listeners rather where they can find you online? All right, so they can find me on Instagram. Uh, I am pelo underscore 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 M on Instagram. So that is P-H-E-L-O three underscores M. I do also write for W24, as I mentioned. It's an online first platform. So you can read uh, some of my writings on there as well. Wonderful. Thanks again, Pelokazi, and hopefully we'll chat soon. Yes, thank you very much. This podcast series has been made possible by The Solve, the influencer company that turns influence into affluence. In the same way that information is presented in this podcast in a relatable and authentic way, The Solve gets your customers to tell their real brand stories to their community. Go to thesolve.co.za to learn more about how The Solve can help you grow your business.